Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, we went last episode without me going into a rant mode about mutants and masterminds. Lucky for you and your ears. But this week we are coming back to you. I am your host, Game Goblin, alongside my two co-hosts for Season 5... Kazakhan, the Lord Dragon. Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. And of course, uh, since we've gone into Season 5, going more for the roleplay aspect this season, rather than just all gaming in general, because, well, the pandemic has kind of screwed everything up. So, yep. we are continuing on from our Season 4 finale episodes and continuing into Season 5 with more creatures for your bestiary and our thoughts as three GMs. I am also known as Gaspar. I'm sitting alongside Melchior and Balthazar, the three wise asses of GMing. <laughs> uh, I had to. Yeah, but are you going to be able to get down off the pedestal you set yourself on? Only on. when the world is saved from Lavos. Because I need Chrono to use my time machine. Chrono, 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 Chrono. I, I was just, my name is Gato, I've got metal joints, beat me up and earn 15 silver points. Bling! <laughs> but this episode is not about Chrono Trigger. No, it is actually about other strange cosmic entities that we all have to deal with on a daily fucking basis. No matter if we're in space, we're on land, we're in a western, or we're just shoot 'em up pow pow in whatever roleplay game, we've always got to have some sort of monstrous humanoid. Whether it's goat people, Ixbixi people, Fucking tabaxi people, dog people, bandersnatch people. Who knows what? Uh, Hollywood actors, whatever fucking <laughs> monstrous humanoids you want to have at your game. Well, of course, in the game world, we can slay them with reckless abandon, and of course, these two gentlemen like animals more than I do. Usually, when I see a monstrous humanoid, I'm like, it has fur and hooves. Shoot it. Problem solved. I go, it's got fur and hooves. Skin it. He's got, it's got fur and hooves. Fuck it. Yeah, don't even fucking deny it, dude. <laughs> You're a furry. That's just bestiality without the willpower to commit. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, sir. I am a scaly. Get it right, you fucking plebeian. Right, that's the one the furries make fun of. No, actually, that would be aquatics. Still. It's the one they all make fun of. <laughs> regardless, <laughs> if you're going to get into bestiality, dude, just come on, man. Get drunk. <laughs> you, there's a dog in your house. No, no, he's a scaly. He's got a fucking iguana. <laughs> or you like those guys in Africa who fucked an alligator to try to get rid of their AIDS. <laughs> I'm impressed to the commitment there. Hey, that's a real news report. One you of them died. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Huh? Let's see. Let's like try to fuck an apex predator. Right. That then. hasn't changed since the Cretaceous. Yeah. It is the peak of its fucking evolution. It hasn't changed. They just get bigger. They don't die. They just run out of food. Because <laughs> they get too big to sustain all that weight. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the game world, though, let's let's just pick one of these uh, fucking monsters out because we got a screen up full of monsters and these guys can catalog them. 
Of course, as we all know, the first monstrous humanoids we had in roleplay were Greco-Roman-based creatures. So let's start... Ah, there's one right there. The Centaur. A good start. So what do we got here for the Centaur, which is a classic staple of monstrous humanoids in your roleplay game? What are your thoughts as GMs go, gentlemen? Personally, I've had many people try and play a centaur, and I will tell you, it is a bitch and a half to try and collate that when they are, uh, let's see if I remember this correctly, yeah, they are a large creature, and um, trying to get them to enter a tavern or a narrow walkway is a pain. Yeah. Worse is when you get a player who plays a centaur cavalier, therefore they are always mounted. <laughs> it is a yeet stick. <laughs> Lance, yeet! Technically, they're always mounted if you're a centaur cavalier. Spooky. Evil. <laughs> I, as a GM, look at those rules and I'm be like, eat a dick, dude. Yiff <laughs> yourself right out of here. Uh, careful with that word. There's gonna come. There's gonna be backlash for that. Yeah, yiff and yeet. That's a centaur. <laughs> there are certain, certainly plenty. I still like reverse centaurs, though. I saw a picture of one the other day. It was basically a human with a horse head. So, Bojack Horseman. <laughs> Bojack Horseman. <laughs> so, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, centaurs is, is sort of an interesting thing because they use medium-sized weaponry. They are, like, as you know a centaur to be, they are the top half of a human in place of where a horse's head would be. There's been, you know, I've seen threads where there were, like, veterinarians and doctors have started... Being like, well, where would you defib one if they went into they went into cardiac arrest? Well, the likelihood is, just by the way they are, they might actually have two hearts because they need it. So there's a bunch of crazy stuff that goes on with horse people and specifically centaurs. But the common thread, Gesundheit, is has been they are typically a very honor bound culture. They always seem to hate humans no matter what. Uh, game they're put in, like uh, for D&D games, they seem to be a bit middle of the road, but still more towards the side of, unless you've got to join your party, get out of our lands. In a lot of video games that I've played, especially the independent ones, centaurs do not seem to like humans whatsoever. Or if you're from uh, Harry Potter, then yeah, they are just a little more than savages. There is all sorts of crazy shit, and, a, you know, there's a wide variety. Sentient humanoid creatures like this, which, you know, they're on par with Joe Schmoes around like us. They are, and they have their culture, and the problem is that culture typically doesn't agree with humans and industrialization in the same way that druids don't like it. Well, let's go to ask the important question here, because you did bring up defending a centaur. And as we know, humans, the hominoid species as we are, according to science, last I checked, we are evolved monkeys. That makes us simian-based life forms. Whereas a centaur is half simian, half equine. So this begs the question, do they drop logs or do they still drop giant horse nuggets? Probably horse nuggets, truthfully. that's. That, it seems like that would you would need that sort of digestive capability to extract nutrients for that much body mass. Further question. Horses, when they are born, can naturally get up, walk, and run. 
babies can't keep their head up. So I've seen pictures of that too. I've seen a picture of that too. People, someone has drawn this centaur babies, just like a full, you know, running around with a baby head just flopping backwards and lolling about for shit. Well, this is another uh, evolutionary thing that can, uh, of course. Transfer between real life and role-playing games is monstrous humanoids, uh, especially like the centaur, you know, like he said, horse babies get right up within minutes of being born. But as far as evolution is concerned with us as humans, we are basically uh, born underdeveloped. Yeah, we do a lot of development post, uh, post-departure. post Yeah, like uh, apparently uh, one biologist that I was watching said that a human child should actually be in utero for up to nine more months. So, And, of course, elephants spend almost two years gestating, uh, last I checked. Yeah, it's, it's about two years. Yeah, yeah. it's about two it's years. It's pretty close. Uh, uh, whales, same thing, no? It's something like that. It, it, the bigger they are, the longer it takes. And, of course, human babies are born with abnormally large heads. Which uh, we then grow into. Which we then grow into. So this brings into question with a lot of the beast folks, though, is because beast folks are essentially a hybridization between some sort of beast and some sort of human, we do have to ask the question, uh, say if a minotaur baby gets born, is it going to be ready to like be up and walking around within, say, two days of being born, or is it going to be more like a human baby where the minotaur has to care for it? I feel like in the case of minotaur specifically, it would be more close to the human side they're the way i think of it is that they would have to be you know taught but they would learn at perhaps an accelerated rate by comparison well these are the, the questions that gm is going to need to ask especially if they decide to create a world like if you were to do it you'd be more likely to do it there kaz or can if a gm was to create a world where beast folk are more common than your standard average uh fantasy fair yeah like, instead of, you know, knife ears and, and stout bouts, you know, you get, like, minotaurs and who knows what. Harpies. Correction, I, they're called walking footrests. I always <laughs> like overly sexualized harpies because it's hilarious. When uh, you compare the overly sexualized harpy to the actual legitimate ancient Greco-Roman lore of what harpies were like, you're like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's like sticking your dick in a vulture. Not a good idea. In the pointy end. Mm. That bites. Yeah. Yeah. Go and for will. It. Yeah, and will. Go for it, dude. Yeah. I'm going to be right over here tied to this post with wax in my ears. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's another thing to, to keep in mind is that these humanoid creatures, many of them, not all of them, many of them, are creatures that have intelligence and sometimes culture as well. Which means that you sort of have to, like, ask those questions as well. You have to ask the culture questions. Like, what is, you know, what is the culture of a gargoyle, right? Who knows? I sit, I poop. And they're, you know, they're ambush predators in their own right, but they are intelligent, mineral-based creatures, which is weird. They are, to their point. Uh, a lot of these ones, actually, that is a very good point there, Kazakhan. These are definitely creatures that have their own culture. They are intelligent creatures. They do act, uh, especially in the fantasy realm, uh, in ways that one would expect a cultural being to react 
They have their own laws. They have their own system. They have their own breeding rituals. They have their own morality of right and wrong. Right. They have their own customs. They have their own superstitions. This plays in a lot with many of the uh, bestial races, if you will. Mm -hmm. Even those goddamn tabaxi. Uh, usually their culture is play with shiny things, shit, glitter. Well, in a way, tabaxi culture is more like prophetic, right? It, they aspire a lot into this fate mechanic sort of shtick, which is why their names are like seven words long, because it describes their whole fucking prophecy. <laughs> so, ah, so they're basically cheap ripoffs of the Elder Scrolls. With different cat folk in that game. Possibly. I am not familiar enough Who with the Who are not Elder related to the Bashir. I, I just need to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's all sorts of this sort of stuff. And because of the way that their culture is, you know, they, they encourage, okay, well, your Wanderlust is here. Have fun, stay safe. And just basically let them go. Although it um, definitely leans a lot more into the... Uh, animal anthro uh, areas. I am personally myself more of a fan of lizard folk, especially the gray scales and the black scale clans. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the reptilian races, the, the, especially the swamp dwelling ones, are a lot more fun to whip out on players and watch them freak out about because they are big, they are cold-blooded, they are intimidating. And they are perfectly happy to eat you. And especially if uh, most of the time, and I, this is kind of like my crutch as a GM, it always winds up in a land of the lost scenario where the player characters are the only pink skins deep in a swamp and they are at least no less than two months away from the nearest place of civilization and suddenly, bam, Sleestack, jump out. <laughs> you, know, you got lizard men and dinosaurs and shit and like the players are always like, what the fuck? And we've got Darth Blastman's here. He's scrolling through the monsters. I, I bet right now you have one that you want to talk about because... You look like you got that look on your face. Yeah, let's, let's uh, hear it's it. It's also adjusting to these new glasses of mine, but I was trying to find satyrs. I don't know if they're... I, I think they satyrs, might be listed under fey. I think they're either fey I think or they are fey. Creatures. I think satyrs are fey. Or at least magical. We're, we're talking... These are the less magical ones we're talking about today. This is all like but musculature and, you know, anatomy more than... Although it is kind of interesting that this list of monstrous humanoids includes hags... Mm. who are predominantly magical in scope on a long way. Uh, that description of that creature did not seem right. It sounded like a dick with an eyeball on the end of it. <laughs> uh, that does not sound like a humanoid. That sounds like a tentacle monster out of, like... Uh, that sounds aberration. Well, let's, yeah. let's go back to that one. Okay. So, how would you pronounce that? I, I would uh, call it a G-hole. <laughs> <laughs> or a uh, goal. Yeah, I think goal. Goal? Goal! It's not a hot... Well, it's definitely not a hockey game. So the hulking form has a long, vulture-like neck ending in a head with a disgusting one-eyed visage. So it's... Are, are we just talking like Egyptian shit? Where it's a human body I, I think from like the human... shoulders down and then a vulture's head with one eye instead? That sounds more like... Yeah, that sounds like the case. It's got like a hulking body and it's got like a weird tubular neck thing that ends with a vulture's head kind of thing with a one eye on the end and they but got burrow. Those, like, those are already evil to begin with. Oh, burrow speed? They got a burrow speed of 40. So oh no. That's not good. I can definitely see uses of creatures with a burrow. <laughs> ah! That's why. Uh, okay. 
That is not a humanoid. That, my friend, is somebody from India. <laughs> a right. man from India. Doctor Safe A Goal Colon and Rectal Doctor. Boy, that just sounds fun. Um Hey, you know what? If he gets paid big money for it and he's actually able to smile in that photo, more power to him. Yeah. Uh, apparently looking up this monster has brought up a whole shitload of weird fucking pictures. Because apparently there are not many of them. There is one of them that looks legitimately like... Yeah, you, you use the next line. Yeah, you... So... Uh, okay, so take a Cyclops, make him Sasquatch, and then stretch the neck. You know, actually, this actually... Um, yeah, I did say actually twice. Now three times. Cease! Cease! Incidentally... There you go. <laughs> oh, I hate that fucking word. Anyway, <laughs> this right here, because uh, we're looking this up while we're doing the episode, because, you know, we, we need, don't, we we don't need, do scripts, okay? We need something to look at, because, like, well, we need what some, are we even looking at? We need something to look at, and you two do not want to sit in a room with me having a boner. Still, what I'm trying to get to is we're looking this up while we're recording, because... I don't like doing scripts beforehand. You know, it's less truthful to the audience if we just make a script up and go with that. Yeah, and I'm a slow reader because I was on the short bus. Yeah, and short bus over here. But how hard it was to find this picture of this creature only illustrates a point we've made across numerous episodes over the years that when you are planning a campaign... Look this shit up in advance because it took us uh, a good two minutes to find that picture. And, and we, had to, GM, we had to you, specify it. Yeah. If you're a GM and you want to whip out this monstrous creature on your group and you look at the stats and you're like, oh, it's got burrow and it's got this speed. It's got two claw attacks and it's an ugly, hideous thing. Depending on, you know. No, I, even as a monster fucker, that's pushing it. Well, I don't know, man. It's got nice big kissy lips. I'm just saying. I don't know. I know an artist on uh, Deviant Art that would be all over that. Oh yeah. I'm just saying, as a GM though, look your creature, especially with things like this, which are way out of the normal fucking purview. This isn't like, again, it's not a centaur, it's not a harpy, it's not a gorgon. It's, it's not a, so many. It's a gorgon. You could name a a G, a G hole. It's not a common monster, so. As yeah. a GM, if you look at the stat block, it's got a really tremendous stat block for being a CR-12. Be prepared beforehand, because one of your players, if you read off the description that we just read... They're going to be like, what the fuck are we looking at? They're going to want to see a picture. So plan ahead, get that picture. Because <laughs> we had to, and we're like, what the fuck are we even looking at? What okay, the fuck are we now, doing? Now it makes sense why that description. Although, frankly, oh, no. if they had just said Sasquatch, Vulture Neck... Cyclops head, big tusks. I will there say, you go. Well, that would work for some people, for, but for a bunch of people who couldn't conceptualize those things connected the way they were. Yeah. It, I think their description works, but... It needs more. The description needs more because the way the description read to me by that... Mm -hmm. And remember, if you're a GM and you just read that as a description, that's really boring. But that description just reminded me of like those little pink muscle men from the 80s. I imagine the human body, like Kazarkan said over here, with a vulture head with an eyeball in the middle of it. So, you know, some sort of avian thing. Yeah. That, 
No. Not even close. All right, we were well, not close. I know exactly how I would use this creature in a combat situation. Since we've already got its stats and everything looked up here, mm -hmm. what we have is a CR 12 creature with an, oh my god, AC of 26. Damn. Uh, decent uh, saves versus touch and flat-footed. 168 hit points base as a CR 12, which is very fucking commendable. Holy shit, I would not want to fight one of these. Yeah, look at rolling up the bite attack. That's a plus 23. That is brute. 2d6 well, plus 10. Oh, it's got a burrow of 10 feet. I thought it was a burrow of 40, but it's got a natural speed of 40. So, foot speed of foot speed of 40, burrow of 10. Uh, it's got a standard space reach of 5 feet, but 10 feet with bite. Uh, let's see, what were you talking about that bite attack there? Melee attack. That's a bite plus 23 to hit. It does 2d6 plus 10, and then it has a crit range, or not so much a crit range, but a disease Threat. range of 17 to 20. Well, that's its, uh, that's its crit range, 17 through 20. So it's got a 15%. Give it disease. And the, plus no, no. disease. The, plus. So it's 2d6 plus 10 plus disease on hit with a 17 to 20 crit range, which is yeah. fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's, got a, it's got a 15% uh, chance to crit. And then it's got two claws there. Same thing, but it's 1d8 plus 7 for damage. Plus disease on top of that, so oh, yeah. it is definitely there to like ruin people's days. And let's see, the disease... Let's, uh, let's scroll down. Yeah, let's scroll it. down to his disease stats. Cause they, bubonic uh, plague. Okay. DC 23. Holy shit. Twice Frequency. a day? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Effective 1d4 con damage and 1 charisma damage. And the target is fatigued. Cure. Not applicable. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's see. How shit. Oh my god. It adds 1.5 times its strength modifier to its damage rolls. Um, and of course, then they changed the um, crit range on the bite there, which is weird. But whatever. Plus, it can just chew through all hard stuff. And it gets a plus two morale bonus on those who are sick uh, at all. Disease. So if it bites you and gives you the bubonic plague, then it gets a plus two morale bonus to attack you again. And there is a bolster, a bolster disease ability. And Jesus Christ, these things are plague doctors. They are plague in doctors. In the worst ways. And it has a scent ability against disease creatures, so even if you escape after it bites you... It, it can, can smell it. It can smell you out. Okay, so, now that we have that laid out, uh, the CR-12 creature... Uh, this thing is a fucking boss monster. No, hear me out, hear me out. Okay, well, this that's is a small-scale, mid-tier BBEG. That, you just have one of these motherfuckers traipsing around and doing their fucking shit, and you are... You have a plague. You have people getting eaten. You have a ridiculous amount of just brute strength to throw around. <laughs> uh, okay, so interesting. This one also comes out of... Best uh, 6. Yeah, BCR 6, which is a demonic book. So if you're looking to do a uh, four horsemen thing, this would be a great for uh, Pestilences number uh, yeah. 2. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, there are like five of them. Well, we've kind of got your thoughts on this, and Blasphemous, you're up. How would you guys as GMs use that creature? Well, like I was saying, if you're running a Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse campaign... I would definitely use that as the B tier for to represent pestilence. Okay. Uh, if I was GMing, I would actually go a different route than both of you guys. Hmm. But similar to Kaz, actually, 
if I wanted to scare the players, and of course this is mid tier, uh, so definitely CR twelve. So <laughs> the earliest I would script the players to hopefully run into that would be at earliest level ten. Uh, that way my players have a chance. <laughs> hey, yeah, good plan can trump a monster any day of the week. I'll yeah, absolutely. We we have killed CR six monsters as level three characters. Because we had good strategies, we had good plans, and, and we teamwork. fucking teamwork, and we fucking nailed it. Yeah. Or how about someone firing at a mirror in the distance? Yeah. And there's also cases where people do dumb shit like that. I'm just saying. We've heard the, this. We the, the stories out there. The stories out there. But the earliest yeah. I would let my characters run into that is say a lot around level ten. But this would be my Darth Vader. Yeah, I could see it. This would be my Darth Vader, while the big bad evil guy who's really masterminding shit is still pulling strings behind the curtain, but this is the monster that the players would be more terrified of because this is the physical manifestation oh. of the real bad guy. That's how I would use him. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Like, Actually, that's, that's sort of a hybrid between our two thoughts. This is exactly that. It's like using it as, you know, mid-tier under some other thing yeah, as a as a as a micro boss for a region. Yeah, this is this like is my big side. stick behind the speak softly guy. Yeah. Uh what oh hey, now we're getting into the Japanese lore. This is another creature here. Everybody should know about it. If not, please watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. Yep. Uh, actually don't. <laughs> well that's I see where you're going with that. Two was grudgingly okay. At least two had go ninja, go ninja, go. Go ninja, go ninja, go. Go ninja, go ninja, go. Go, go, go. Turtle power. At least they had that in two. Okay, that was like the only thing Vanilla Dice did in his entire career, I agree with. Well, no, that was in one. I don't know. No, that was in two. That was in the first movie. Uh-uh, that was in two. Settle it later. He was on stage singing that song... And then Shredder and Toka and Razor, like, were fighting the turtles and shit. One is where Shredder wound up in the garbage truck, which is really neat when you're a little kid, you know, and you're like, wow, Casey Jones just applied five tons of force. There's no way Shredder survived that. He just murdered the shit out of him. You dumb Casey Jones, you fucking psycho, I love you. But anyway, <laughs> the Japanese creature we've got to here is a classic staple for any weeb like myself. It is a humanoid turtle crouching near the water with a suspicious look in its eyes. The top of its head is bullshit and filled with water. Yes, my friends, it is the Kappa. Kappa? Cappuccino? Never touches stuff. Makes me hyper. Michelangelo, mm. TMNT3. Oh, no, a turtle fan. I, I <laughs> Although so, the turtles in the comic books were way better. Just saying. Yeah, especially the original nine comics. Oh, yeah. Casey was just a fucking nut job. Raphael was super psycho. Now, if we take the Kappa in a traditional Japanese sense, they're fucking butt nasty. They can be straight up evil. They are also hilariously um, overdone in modern Japanese culture. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then again, when you're dealing with something that's really scary, uh, like even this guy over here, you know, he... He has a fear towards this uh, certain gal who likes to swim a lot. Uh, I sing songs about her, but <laughs> at the same time, if I was culturally believing she was real, I'd probably be terrified too. Remind me next time we go camping to just start whistling. Okay, no. okay, okay. You win. <laughs> you fucking win. 
because I will not whistle in the woods, so you win. Uh, anyway, <laughs> one of the ways to defeat a kappa, actually because they were considered dishonorable beings in some of the uh, writings and stuff, is you get a kappa to bow to you. Because the water in the top of its head was actually kind of like linked to its life force, so it would cause they're, the water to spill out. They're, they're sort of like this weird elementally attached creature. Yeah, they're elementally attached to water. Uh, so if we were to take Kappa as they are written by the rules uh, here from the uh, Pathfinder stuff, thank the goodness it's not another G-hole, but Kappas are a CR2, which is way too low in my opinion, monstrous humanoid aquatic with a fair AC of 15 as a CR2, 19 hit points, uh, resist of acid and cold 5, of course their weakness of course, like I said, the head bowl. What yeah. a weird word. Can you smoke uh, green from their head bowl? No, I, I don't think so. Probably not. I don't think that would go well. It's actually funny they have them listed here as monstrous humanoids when they're technically demons. Uh, and they're closely related more towards Oni and stuff like that, as far as I've seen. Yeah. But, hey, you know, role-playing books never translate things correctly. I mean, shit. Yep. So... I think a Kappa here as a GM uh, looking over the stats because they are fairly basic. Uh, they have nothing that really stands out that makes them super dangerous above and beyond other things. I mean, if they're going to try and kill you, they're going to try and do it by drowning you. Yeah, it's got, well, it's special taxes grab. Uh, it's got rake, so it's got some decent attacks there. It has swim of plus nine, plus a really awesome speed underwater of 40 feet. So yeah, this is something that's going to be lurking by the side of the water, waits for you to get close, and then fucking ruins your day. Or better yet, they surround your boat and just start jumping up, because if we go down here... Or surround your boat and start trying to tip it, yeah. Yeah, three to six. I mean, even if you're on an actual, you know, decent-sized ship, three to six of them jumping up and grabbing people from over the rail, that's a bad day for anybody. Yeah. I mean, and like... But that's, you know, taking aside from the fact that they can, in fact, tip boats because you can push all six of them up on one side. They don't need a huge amount of strength. That kind of force is still going to go ass over tea kettle for whoever's inside. And heaven forbid that some common person just has a bug up his butt and decides to walk down to the stream where the kappa uh, resides and sells them one of those handheld uh, drills... Oh, gods. So they can drill holes through boats from underneath the water? <clears throat> that would be a kappa prank. Yeah, like, a kappa prank would be relatively... Like, it could be bad if you don't catch it in time, but they're fixable. Like, you could still put a cork in something like that and bail out the water. Well, yeah, because if we go down further in the uh, stat box of the kappa, uh, Blast Mist, you will definitely notice, and Kazakhan, you'll notice, that they are... Uh, Pucky should like to play tricks on people, and it's only when they get angry that things happen badly, but if you just pass through their um, territory, they'll more than likely just try to uh, prank you. Yeah, I mean... It's only when you piss them off that they get lethal. Yeah, and like that seems true of a lot of these type of creatures. Is like, look, fuck off, leave me alone, you'll be okay. You don't leave me alone, and you bother me to the point where I'm mad at you, you're going to die in one way or another. That seems like that's, it's sort of, it's like, okay, I've been patient long enough. Get the fuck out or get dead. 
well, it, it's a loss of patience at that point. It's so, just straight up. Well, here's the question for both of you again, now that we've got this one up. As a GM, how would you uh, incorporate a COPPA into your campaign? Or a pair or bale of COPPAs? Uh, I think I'm going to take the head on this one. So what I would actually use it as is the tribe of them, a.k.a. bale of three to six that are in fighting shape and all that, are actually used as guardians to protect, you know, the sacred woogie-woogie of Timbutu or whatever. I could see that. Right, like they, they are guarding the canister that houses the scroll, which is the only copy of a spell used to get rid of a demon, but it can get rid of any outsider. So it was agreed that the Kappas would protect it. And then having them in a waterfall environment where tipping the water out of their bowl isn't so much a thing. And then making it so you would either have to try and trade to Jess to get on the good side of the Kappa or defeat them in combat. Yeah. But make it in such a way that you can't just, oh, I tipped him over and his uh, head bowl emptied. Well, they actually have, like, it has to be, it, they actually bring it up in the write-up, mm-hmm. right? That head bowl will not empty, if, it will only empty if, it, if they willingly tip its head to a creature. Mm-hmm. Or... A creature pinning the kappa forces it to do so. So it just moving around, their head has a full gyroscope somehow, right? Always upright unless they choose not to be. Or are forced with, you know, a great deal of struggle. Yeah. Again, this heralds back to uh, the first comments I made that, you know, in uh, classic lore, one of the things to do was to try to trick a kappa into bowing to you. Yeah, which is a willing tipping of its head. It's a willing tipping mm-hmm. of its head. Which can kill it. But still, putting it in such a way that you have to go to them. Because um, otherwise, they're only good uses as a uh, ambush predator. Well, yeah. actually, what I'm thinking... Um, of course, it's similar to what you just said. And as I, uh, a GM, would do if I was running a game, I would do only one copper. Okay? Uh, a whole bale of them is kind of like overkill. Maybe a pair... You know, you get the backup one to keep the party kind of prevented from, you know, drawing swords immediately. But I would do a different take on the troll bridge. Okay. Where the group runs into a kappa who's guarding basically the best spot for crossing the river and is demanding a toll to cross the river there. And during which the kappa will do basically like uh, very Yoda-like, you know, be very disconnected from reality, talking about strange esoteric things that are either way outside the character's like wants and desires or needs. But somehow the kappa just has the mental capacity to connect the dots together with very long, non-linear thinking. Like, <clears throat> you say this, and I'm reminded specifically of the scene where we first meet Yoda in episode... Four? Yeah, very much. Yeah, like the first time they meet Yoda in episode four on like, that little shit is just spry and being an ass and just dicking around. Yeah, like it's all part of the Kappa's test to see if they're worthy to cross the river. It's like, do they have patience? Yeah, or you know, are they really that much in need to cross this part portion of the river? So as the characters are trying to negotiate with him, the Kappa just starts going through their stuff, or starts you know checking out their boots or asking questions that are completely irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, this would be more of a uh, a trial or test of the player character's non-combat abilities. Yeah. And definitely at the low level, like if you're doing a tutorial for your group where you set up certain things to see, are they going to be murder hobos? How do they interact together as a group? 
Are they better in mass multi-combat or better when it's everyone against Or you can even use it, uh, using the example I just put forward as a GM, this would also be a good test to show the players, you know, hey, murder hoboism doesn't always work. Sometimes you got to negotiate or talk to the NPC. Yeah, a, a lesson, a test. I think... It's not just a lesson in character, it's a lesson out of character. Yeah, and I think... I think I would use Kappa in a slightly different way. Maybe I'm thinking in a mercantile way, all right? Okay. So you've got a tribe of Kappa that lives near, I don't know, a fishing village, which has a sub-market for pearl, right? Or something. Because Kappa are aquatic. They don't care that they're underwater. So you can trade with them. You can get stuff from deep in the waters, like underwater you know, farming, right? For various plant matter that can be grown there. Right? As well as, you know, things like cracking clams or bringing clams to the surface for for cracking and then a dividend goes back to the coppas for finding it. Now you've got this mercantile barter system and so you've got a a town, a city, which has a very unique interchange with the water. Where most port cities are, you know, above water trading, right? Big boats, large warehouses, cranes on occasion. They're bulk trading above the water. What about a town that bridges from the land into the sea? Okay. And what can you what can you do with a city that does that? So a total lake town kind of vibe. Yeah, like I, I like. So I'll admit that you know my first thought with with Kappa in this vein was like the Gungan underwater cities, right? Which was an impressive feat in its own right, but. If they, if a kappa lives underwater or you know close to the shore, they can do the same sort of thing pretty easily. And with kappa being a more pacifistic uh, species and culture, it seems like agrarian would be something they would get behind if well, you can trade properly. As the description reads here, though, they do uh, run the gamut of different moralities. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've even been known to drown bathers and eat them right there in text. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's most degenerate true. ones. So, you know. Well, you the same know. thing applies to, you know, anybody who's sitting in a Russian prison known as Black Dolphin. <laughs> so, they're, right. yeah, they're not exactly pacifistic. Uh, let's pull up another one here. Uh, Blasphemous, you take the lead on it, of course, because. Uh, that's the way we're working this way. Uh, we've had Just disease. not the punk wedgie, because I have no idea what that is, and I don't even like the name. <laughs> Rawhead? Rawhead Rex? Oh. Oh, God damn it! he pulled out the punk wedgie. Okay, this one's you guys, because, uh, what um, the fuck? Emerging of an emaciated man and a porcupine, this sinister creature smells, smells of death and decay. Uh, this I, is starting to border into undead territory. No, I'm just getting flashbacks right now to, uh, fuck, that Clive Barker movie. Uh, Nightbane, or whatever it was. Fuck. Okay, I see what they mean. Oh my god, they're teasy. So They look like teasy out of rifts. So if... For those of you who aren't seeing the visual, there, the uh, description is actually pretty spot on. Uh, it's That would actually be all of our listeners are not seeing the visual. Yes, yes. Um, just pointing it out, we are in audio format. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the shape changers do? Yep, so they're shape oh. changers too. They're a CR7, which is rather interesting. Uh, 
Okay, so these things seem like carrion entities that can cast spells. So the, they're they're not death aligned directly, but they certainly feed off it. Dude, they have a special plus three d six to sneak attack. Oh, and spawn undead. Okay, see animate that. dead, death knell, raven feebleman, command undead, death watch. How are they not related to necromancy in some way, shape, or form? Tell me. Ray's dead. I mean, I hadn't seen that, so there's that. Ah, wow, they come with like a bunch of feats, too. Oh, and they also come with cheat codes. Because they constantly can see everybody's hit points. <laughs> with Death Watch. So Death. They, they automatically see everybody's life meter. So bullshit. <laughs> it, I love that power. It's so great, yeah, but Death it's Yeah, Death Watch terrible. is definitely fucking so... Goddamn video gamey. <laughs> oh god, there could be ten of them at once, and a, and it's labeled as a cult. Uh, that's it's just labeled as a cult. <laughs> uh, so apparently they're necromancer SJWs. Uh, okay. I don't think they're quite that SJW. Yeah, they seem like they're more. Hey, that's a thing. I'm gonna kill it and eat it or raise it. Uh, both cults, you know. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, let's see, it's... Oh, now they give a description that actually, like, makes some sense. Uh, these quills, like those of a porcupine, blah, 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 blah. They're poisonous quills. That includes necromancy as the base part of the poison. Jesus, fuck. And they're frequently found in the company of undead, usually consisting of zombies and skeletons. Uh, did you... Okay, I think we firmly established now. They are very death-aligned. They are very death-aligned. No wonder they smell of it. No, they don't smell of death. The sinister creature smells of death and decay. That, my friend, would just be Axe Body Spray. Alright? They smell of Walmart. Alright? It's, it's not their fault. They just only have enough money for that stuff. I mean, that's... Yeah. Still fucking hell. These things are... Mean little shits. And this able would to... actually be fun uh, as a GM. Uh, <laughs> as a GM, I'm thinking here, these would be actually immensely fun to be uh, lower mid-level, because they're CR7. So a group of players are going to be running into Puckwudgies at around level 7 or 8 or 6 at earliest, I would say. But these would make a fun mid-game replacement for Gobolds. Yeah, I can see it. I can go see it. into the caverns to get the MacGuffin. You've got to go into the caverns and of a, a Puckwudgie cult of a Puckwudgie cult. So instead of kobolds, now it's Puckwudgies. This is like the next step up in things that you got to slay to get the next step of the MacGuffin in your quest. And it just so happens that they, you know, deal in death. That's my first thoughts uh, as I a could, GM. Yeah, I could see that. Um... I could almost see them taking a, a, a sort of Nox approach from Starfinder, where they, you know, they craft their items out of bone because it's freaking available everywhere now. Oh, let me just kill this thing with a poison spike. Mm, bones, walk over there. Oh yeah, you're now you're now a boat. You know, looking at that uh, from a Starfinder or even Spelljammer point of view, if you're doing creatures in space. Puckwudgies would actually make a really neat uh, conceptual translation from the fantasy realm into a more futuristic uh, yeah. realm. Yeah, and like you can do all sorts of crazy things with with that sort of mindset. And, you know, let's, let's be honest here. 
I can guarantee there's going to be some genius fucking lich out there, maybe one, maybe three, that has been like, you know what? These little things do work. And they have a bunch of undead minions. Again, we're getting into the whole um, concept of the Puck Wedgie being the hammer while the manipulator lich is sitting on the behind manipulating them and doing the, the hard work. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so Darth Blasphemous has picked the one character... Or actually, no, these are actually a species, but they are playable for player characters. The Trox. They're, they're actually uh, able to be played as characters. Hmm. They are big, bug people with four arms, and if I ever get the chance to play one, I am not playing a Trox Barbarian, but I'm playing a Trox Monk. Specifically, a Trox Grapple Monk with those four arms. <laughs> and a group of four smaller arms that jump jut from under its ribcage. Yeah. So we're, we're, I'm thinking like the worms from Men in Black, right? How they've got the, the main set of arms that are bigger and longer and then a smaller set that's right under there. That's that's the sort of image I'm getting, only with something four-armed and looking like the Hulk made. <laughs> Hulk uh, fucked a bug. This is kind of like more like the Hulk fucked a Tyranid. Yeah. But you're close. Right? Yeah. If you if, if we look up the art for Trox, or you as a listener uh, have the uh, Monster Manual Trox in it, or look up what the Trox uh, looks like. Bestiary 4. Uh, yeah, Bestiary 4, it definitely looks kind of like uh, a Tyranid uh, had some happy, sexy time with uh, something. Probably <laughs> a Xenomorph um, thing. There we go. That's the button. There we go. Trox Pathfinder. Boom. There you go. Oh, they got armor plates, too. Yeah, they got armor plates. It's basically... Damn. It's kind of like an Umber Hulk without the confusion powers, but also player character. So take an Umber Hulk. Yep. And then give it, like, pangolin spines. The size of a kite shield. Yep. Again, this brings us back to... Uh-oh, we're going to circle back. Uh, this brings us back to centaurs. How the fuck does that thing get through the door? <laughs> as a player, very, very tactfully. Like as someone who's seen a bunch of it, cosplayers in oversized outfits, yeah. it takes work and help. Yeah. Like you have to have a dude on either side who's like, "Okay, you can move this far." Then you move. And you're like, okay, now duck down. Okay, and you have to go through like this eight-step process to go into a fucking door. <laughs> All right, they're so not made for things that big. Now that we've looked up some uh, different creatures here, uh, we, we've looked at the trucks, we looked at the G-Hole, we looked at the Centaur, we all had different ideas as a GM, how we've been including them into our game. So I'm going to pose the question to you, two gentlemen. If you were to run a game, okay, because... We're getting there. You're going to run a game. There's going to be players who want to play a monstrous humanoid. What would be the first things you as GMs would say yes to and no to? And why? Hmm. Out of... So, monstrous humanoids is a rather large category. Well, we've got three examples. Yes. And following up on that, I would be reticent to really allow a player to play an aquatic base I, so like a mermaid or a siren something that is does not have land movement right unless they're transformed or carried or in a wheelbarrow right I will veto that because more often than not my campaign is going to be on land 
So for that that standpoint, I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to harsh your your creativity here, but how are you going to get around? And if you can give me a damn good explanation, I'll let it slide. But at the same token, like, it depends on how they play it and how they bring the creature's abilities and story into it. Uh, there's an, a lot more argument to be had for sentient races, at the minimum. But, like, you can have a dumb-as-brick, you know, minotaur, and they're still an effective fighter. Grog, go hit! Okay! And you just bulldoze the shit. You can still direct them, and some people will have fun playing that. That's fine. Please do. But understand, like, when you're going into this... Your character will get funny looks. Your character will be hearing people talking about them because... What the fuck is that? The town folk are not going to know unless they happen to be like the local villagers to you. It's kind of like what would happen if the circus freak went to a private school. People yeah. are going to look, especially at the beginning. Yeah. And then eventually they'll, they'll either learn you're not the threat, you're a pretty cool person, or they'll just be like, yeah, he's an asshole, stay away from him, kids. We don't make eye contact. Right? A-S-S-H-O-L-E. Yeah, so... I'm not going to hard veto, but I will make people give thought to it before I just blindly accept. And I think that's that's a clarifier that needs to be said. Fair enough. Alright, Blasphemous, before you start dozing off. Yeah, he's yes. getting a little long-winded over here. Indeed, it is another long weekend, and now a schedule adjustment. Yay! So, yay, real-life aggro. It's almost over. Good luck, man. You are you are struggling to even stay up. It yeah. is never over. Well, and also, I'm coming up to when I'm going to be going on hiatus. Hey, yep. Well, we're getting it out of the way before uh, real-life aggro decides that you've got to go on your honeymoon. That's right, folks. We're keeping it secret that Darth Blasmus is about to give in to the dark side and spawn children who will be taught the ways of red lightsabers. Mm. I can't wait to get your uh, preteens drunk. <laughs> Ten years from now, I'm going to come into your house with a half Are you volunteering beer. as a godparent? I'm going to say I'm not going to hold their hair when they barf into the toilet, but I'm going to definitely enjoy watching them stumble around the house while you're getting pissed. <laughs> I'm going to be the bad uncle. <laughs> you're going to be the fun uncle. Well, I'm going to be the fun uncle, not the bad touch uncle. <laughs> thankfully, uh, me and my girl are just getting married and we don't have kids on the way yet, but by the time they are that old, you'll be an old man and I'm sure retired. So you'll have what? all the time in the world to play this. Retirement? What is this word? What like, is the only this way, isn't the thing that happens in this era. The, the only way I'm going to like be able to fucking retire is to swallow a nine millimeter uh, pill mm. at high velocity. <laughs> I was going to say in a pine box. This is the future, okay? <laughs> Gen X, millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen Z, Z top. They don't get to retire. They work until we die. Yeah. Only boomers get to retire. <laughs> Assholes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, let's get back to the topic. How All would it you takes use... is being prepared and not spending your whole life flipping burgers. Aw, uh, dude. You worked hard and then got screwed out of a union job. I was four months away from earning five weeks of vacation a year. <laughs> Bam. Sad panda. But, but, However. But I'm not totally sad. Actually, 
real life story here. I am now working a very menial, entry level job. Could not get any simpler. Mm -hmm. I, I fuck up maybe once a week, and that's because I like get into a hurry. Like when I screw up, and somebody the boss comes back to me, he's like, "Hey, you cut this wrong." I'm like, "Sorry, dude, I'm busting out jobs as fast as I can." Sometimes shit slips through. That's mm -hmm. the way it goes. But it's a menial job. My only responsibilities is to do my job quickly and try to do it right. That's it. Yeah. It is so relaxing. Yeah. Compared to what I was doing. Yeah, where you have to be technically correct every where time. I have to be technically correct every time, and I'm bouncing between seven different work areas all day long. Ugh. That's... And a unofficial lead training people. Fuck. Anyway, back to the reality land of our game world. How would you use... No, how would you allow players? You asked me to this. Yeah, yeah. We're going to ask him. I'm going to ask you. If you're allowing players to play Beast Folk Races, mm -hmm. what would you kibosh and what would you accept and why? Well, first off, gnolls are completely banned. They do not exist in <laughs> any of my worlds. <laughs> I know why. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I Carry on. Yep, Disregarding the gnoll comment, let's just carry on. Voldemort! <laughs> well, besides, besides, besides. Uh... To be honest, I'm on the fence of completely banning uh, Khajiit, or cat folk, whatever the fuck tabaxi. you want to call them. Tabaxi. Yeah, poor man's Khajiit. Oh, and the fucking birds that can only say, like, oh, things. Oh, uh, the Kenku. Yeah, hell no to those, because people play them all the same. Yeah, it's yes. a joke, but yes, everyone always plays it where, oh, I want to be the big playful house cat. I'm sorry, I'm waiting for someone to come and say, alright, I'm playing fucking Panthor or whatever from... Dude, if I was playing a tabaxi, I would fucking, like, motherfucking Shere Khan. Oh, yeah. I would be, no. I would be like, half Shere Khan, half Rikshasha, and all barbed penis. <laughs> I am just ready to get in there and fuck some pink skins and get my fucking kamufkins and screw this kibbles and bitch shit. Give me a steak. Yeah. Well, see, I was thinking more of Panthor from the Thundercats, man. Like, if someone wanted to run a Thundercats campaign, I'd, I'd run it for him. I I don't know if we can make that analogy, though, because Panthor was the token brother, and he was cool as shit. I'm sorry, Lionel, you got nothing on Panthor. Yeah. Panthor was the token brother, and he rocked that shit. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew it, even us as kids. We all knew he was the token brother, and he was still cool as shit. And I was just waiting for the day that Panthor beat the shit out of Snarf. <laughs> Never came. But still, like, shit like that, I'd be cool. But everyone else wants to play this super fluffy, I'm a house cat, watch me get distracted by random things in the middle of combat. Nah, I'm done with your ass. I'm done. Kankus? Nah, you want to play an annoying fucking mockingbird? Nah, it's fucking bird hunting season. Shit I would allow is some of the more interesting stuff. But to be honest, I'd also have to cut the frog people. <gasps> because, I'm sorry, but having a player do that random croaking for two hours gets really old. I, I'm sorry, dude, but I might actually... I, I'm going to try this here, just real quick. A concept. If I wanted to play a frog person who was a paladin, mm -hmm. and my battle cry was Deus Volt, uh -huh. would you accept it? Yes. Yes! But you're not doing that croaking sound whenever the hell you want. Fuck no! Yeah, you're being smart about it. 
Now what? I'm, I'm gonna wield the Massa Moon. Yeah. Kill Lavos. <laughs> I had to. Well, like other shit, I would allow would be some of the more oddball, uh, kind of one-off races, you know. And I wouldn't play it like, "Ooh, this is furry fucking fun land." Nah, it would just be a thing where like a fucking level fifteen spell was done, and all of a sudden. A bunch of people got turned into part animal, part people, so they would have to decide how the cultures go. Or that happened a long time ago, and the cultures have evolved in such a way. Ah, so that's where the pig people came from. Mm-hmm. Bavmorta one. Are mm. pigs? <laughs> Suck it, Willow. <sighs> All right. Just saying, though, Sorsha. Totally would. Yeah. <laughs> Even if her mom is a skanky hag. Well, you know, you've asked us this question. Okay. The same question goes to you, Gabo. Okay, fair enough. Uh, from my experience over the years, I do certainly 100% with extra sauce on the sides. West Point with honors. Best of the best of the best. Sir! Hoorah! <laughs> Agree. <laughs> With Mr. Blasphemous's assertion that some people play animal folk way too much in the trope of the same, the fluffy, happy, distracted cat people. The, uh, to be honest, it's like Furry Force 5. Furry Force 5. The, and even uh, as a furry. I'm, I'm just fucking gonna... bird people who always get distracted by bright, shiny things. They no, are... don't, don't play the tropes of the animal. Or play the strengths of the animal. Or the um, chaotic monkey monk. The you monk, know, monk. as much as I love dragon folk, people usually play them all the same. Exactly. Uh, I do agree with him on that one. However, I'm not going to be as hardline as he is about it because I do understand that role-playing is for fun for everyone. And I, as a GM, I have to give ground and allow my players to have fun with something. I just can't hardline say no all the time. Uh, maybe, hopefully, I can go them into trying to change up the character a little bit. If I have to hardline, I will, but I'm willing to negotiate. But the one part I do not like negotiating on is when somebody selects a special monstrous race or magical race, uh, much like a Genasi, where they have some sort of special ability that comes with them, say like the Burrow ability, where they ex- it's easy and constantly exploited. Uh, with Genasi, there was uh, air. It was uh, water Genasi or air Genasi. One of them had breathed without air. That sounds which air. Absolutely negates every poison trap that you have that's air based, or if a creature is doing some sort of weird gaseous cloud attack. Well, guess what? That person is completely irrevocably able to bypass it. Or people with the burrow ability just walking through dungeons. You know, just. Why have walls when you got one person who just walks through all of them? Right. I'm going to go scout ahead by going exact due west through this wall. I'll come back after like 10 minutes. I'll come back after 10 minutes. And, you know, they discover like five other rooms in the dungeon and be like, well, this is what we got. The monstrous creatures that I am hardline to say no against have obviously exploitable abilities. Fly can be dealt with. I just don't like it on early level, but late game fly is perfectly acceptable. Right, and like uh, I, I kind of like having people grow into fly. Like it's not something you're just born with. 
most of the time. Oh, unless I, you are more avian than person. Fuck you, dude. I can fly. I I can fly. Unfortunately, every time I fly, there's always a hard stop at the end of it because I have a sudden deceleration moment. Valid, unfortunate. My power of flight always guides me to the greatest source of gravitational pull. It is an inherent ability that I was born with. Unfortunately, usually that gravitational pull has a very physically hard object between me and it. Most commonly, yeah. Yes, most commonly. Still. I I can't control the direction, but I'm just gravitationally aligned. Yes. (laughs) I can fly. All right. Let's take a look at another one. Actually, we are beyond the hour. We are. are. Wow, look at that. Yeah, time has flown by. So, I think final thoughts on monstrous humanoids. I think monstrous humanoids need to be given deep thought. Specifically when it comes to dealing with how the world sees them, how they see the world, and how their culture interact, how the how these two things interact, right? Minotaurs have a fair bit of a reputation as being, you know, really good memory, really big muscles, and somewhat linearly thinking. This is not always the case, but how does a minotaur see the world if that is true? Something to ponder. And, like, from the GM side, you need to have at least, you know, a couple of spark notes on this so that you can elaborate on it if needed. But how you go about this is up to you. Just make it fun for your players and yourself. It's actually one of the top three rules, of course. The, The same rules that I would apply to when I'm running a game. Fun trumps story. As long as the players are having fun and the GM is having fun, the story comes secondary after fun. However, story trumps rules. If the rules make the story no fun, then the rules need to be altered and or changed and agreed upon by the group to make the game have a coherent story and still be fun for everybody. So, fun, story, rules in that order. And monstrous creatures, monstrous humanoids, magical humanoids, pretty much any humanoid, uh, is one of those weird things because either they're very rare, uh, much like satyrs, when you're in a Greek uh, or Roman environment, you run into them very rarely, or a Garuda, you run into it very rarely, or an Oni, it's very rare, but on the other hand, you have a lot. They have their own cultures, they have their own societies and civilizations and towns and trading hubs. And they're basically just the animal version of normal people. There seems to be really no balance between like, oh, there's this one village that's basically like goat elf people. Uh, It's a really strange balance between the two. And my final thoughts on it is if you're going to include monstrous humanoids that have their own culture and society, again, take notes. Make sure that your centaurs are culturally different from your minotaurs, who are culturally different from your harpies, who are differently are culturally different from your bog beasts. And so everything in between. And everything in between. So that way, when your player characters run into a monstrous humanoid, they all don't seem to be the same thing with just a different coat of paint. At least make your uh, species and creatures a little bit different. So when somebody runs into, say, a minotaur, they know at least the baseline of what to expect. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's my final thoughts. This is Game Goblin going back to my crypt. Uh, for my final thought on it is just try and make sure everything's cohesive. Or if you got players who want to do it, sometimes you got to be the bad guy and tell them no. Because as much as everyone loves to be the most special snowflake, it doesn't work. You know, you got to have people be cohesive. If someone wants to be the star of the show, then let them go write their own fanfic. Other than that, I say when it comes to using the bestial races to let your characters or your players be these characters or to have them in the situation, understand where they come from, what they're about, what they can do. And if you're using them as a way to pawn off a fight or a random encounter sheet, have it make some sense. Darth Blasphemous signing off. Gazarkan, back to the skies. I have no idea what a furry is. I'm just here for the wild sex parties.